Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, we are diving in to all things sex. So grab a cocktail or your vibrator and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. I am so ready for today's guest, you guys. I have been getting a lot of episode requests for digging into sex and orgasms and intimacy and all the things. And today, our guest is absolutely taking us there. Carlin Costa is a clinical sexologist, and she wrote the best-selling book, Love, The Woman's Guide to Not Fucking Settling. So if that isn't an indication of why I wanted to bring her on FML Talk, then you will soon understand why. I think so many times we as females think that sex isn't necessarily about us or we're broken because we can't have an easy orgasm. There's so many different mentalities that have been imposed on us by society and we are ready to break that shit down. So without further ado, we are going to jump straight in to this juicy, informative fucking interview. Here we go. Miss Carlin, welcome to FML Talk. Hi, Gabrielle. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to dive into today's episode. We've talked a bit on this show about sex and monogamy and polyamory, but we haven't really dove into an episode like I think today is going to be. So I'm very excited that you're here. Yay, me too. I love talking about all things sex. I mean, I'm a clinical sexologist. That's that's what literally what I do. So let's get into it. I love it. it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so your book... Uh, the love, the women's guide to not fucking settling, which by the way, is the title that everyone should just live by. I mean, it's (laughs) probably one of the best titles I've ever heard. Um, (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the book, what it goes into, um, why you decided to write it, all of that jazz. Yeah. Thank you so much. So my book, I wrote a couple years ago and uh, I really just needed, I think I needed my own therapy to like really kind of get through, you know, one of those major life kind of breakups that you have, right? I thought, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get into these relationships, you think all these things are going to happen, you have all these expectations, and then when the bubble gets popped and (laughs) all of your expectations kind of come crumbling down around you, you're either going to like boss up and learn the fucking lessons, or you're going to continue to repeat the patterns Mm -hmm. until you actually learn the lesson. And as a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist, that's what I help people do is really identify what their patterns are and get to not just healing the symptoms of like, you know, bad relationships or bad self-worth, that kind of stuff. It's 
I try to get people to really look at, hey, let's be accountable for our shit. And that's what the book is about. Love, The Women's Guide to Not Fucking Settling is not only just about being able to have boundaries around the relationships that you want, but it is also about learning what the relationship with your, what, sorry, learning with what the relationship with yourself is all about. Mm, I love that. Thanks. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and so when you say, for people that don't know that are listening, when you say um, clinical sexologist, what exactly does that mean? So that means I went to school and studied a lot about sex <laughs> and, and <laughs> relationships. That's what that means. So I completed a doctorate in human sexuality. I have a master's in public health. I also have a degree as a social worker. I also have a degree in politics and sociology. So I went to school for a really long time uh, to get this kind of wealth of knowledge uh, that is really intersectional, that is really feminist, uh, but is inclusive and diverse and wonderful. And it's all about just not only learning about sex, because everybody knows how sex works, you know, right. like anybody can talk to you about how sex works, but it is about just understanding some of the data, some of the research behind it, the actual evidence-based and informed supportive information that we need, not just hey, this feels good. Maybe you should try it. It's, right. it's more about looking at the range of the spectrum of humanity and being able to bring in a variety of different uh, perspectives and advice and tips and tools, that kind of stuff. So Nice. Yeah. So tell me, I'm interested when you said some of like the science behind it more so than just, oh, this, this feels good and we should do this. Yeah. What are some of those things that you would list off that are really interesting to, to find out about? Well, totally. So for example, here's a really great thing. You know, uh, it's about bust, uh, busting some myths, right? So for example, there's this whole, whole big myth that women don't want sex as much as men, for example, mm. right? Like that, that's actually not true. There's many different amazing authors that actually write on that not being true. That's a myth. So we're trying to bust some of these myths. Um, what are some other things? Oh, Oh my goddess, this is huge. I have like, I have patients that will come to me and like literally, so I've been a, a, psycho, a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a clinical sexologist for about eight years now, almost 10 years. And one of the questions that continues to come up to me, come back to me is, I don't know how to orgasm. I don't know where to touch to have an orgasm. And I had a doctor tell me that the G spot isn't real. What? Oh no, don't like, don't get me started. I'm like, what are you talking about right now? And, you know, talking about like what squirting is, right? And talking about the, the ejaculation of women, for example, scientifically speaking, you know, it's not pee, it's actually prostatic fluid and where that comes mm. from. So it's, it's a little bit of a lot of that. So it's kind of like sex ed, but with this like psychotherapeutic lens to it um, that really just, helps inform people as to what their bodies are doing. What the fuck are, yeah. what the fuck is my body and my heart doing? <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think, you know, the whole women and orgasming thing is not a new concept yeah. that it's much harder for us to get there than it is for men. A lot of the time. Um, what do you say to your clients who come to you and have difficulty orgasming? Is that, you know, 
a partner issue? Is that they need to learn how to do it themselves issue? Like what, what's the steps you take them to try and help them have a more fulfilling sex life by way of orgasm? Okay. So first of all, it is about identifying why is orgasm the goal? Right. Because we put so much pressure on orgasm having to be this goal, having to be this like ultimate prize that we get to. And like, it's a really good time. <laughs> Let me tell you, right. An orgasm is a really good time. But when we make that the sole goal of our, you know, sex capades, it can really fuck with our ability to be able to get out of our heads and into our bodies. Right. Yeah. It can really stunt us to be able to like being present in the moment to actually enjoy the pleasure that we deserve to feel. So that's that's the first conversation that we have. The second conversation we have is, you know, what is your history with orgasm? What has, you know, uh, how have you had ex- or experienced orgasm in the past? You will be surprised as to how many women have never had an orgasm, like at all ages, like in their forties, in their fifties, wow. late thirties. Right. And they'll come to me and they'll be like, I like, maybe I've had an orgasm. And I'm like, you then know, maybe, you have not. Yeah, I was like, you know, maybe you <laughs> have an orgasm. Yeah, I was like, yeah. that's not exactly how that works, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, I talk about that. So what has been your experience thus far? Then we look at, okay, so what are the challenges with your partner, right? If you, if the challenge is with a partner, right? If you're having partnered sex and you're not able to achieve orgasm, then we talk about why that might be. Sometimes Mm. it's because we aren't directing our partner enough. Sometimes it's because our partner isn't active in the communication, in the sexual negotiation, right? Sometimes it's we don't actually know what it is that we want and what we desire. So then I definitely go to talking about masturbation. I'm big on talking about masturbation. I love, like, everyone needs to rub one out. Everyone needs to (laughs) masturbate. Like, it's a whole chapter in my book, like, where we talk about masturbation because not fucking settling means that I own my pleasure. I own my orgasm. Because here's the thing. Nobody gives you an orgasm. And that's a big myth. You know, mm. you know this story, right? Your girlfriends will call you and they'll be like, oh, I saw this guy. I hooked up with him last night. And uh, I don't think I'm going to see him again because he didn't give me an orgasm. I'm like, what? what? Did you tell him how? Like, did you direct right. him? Did you hold the space for that person to be able to show up in that way? Or were they actually just a jerk? Right? Yeah. Nobody gives you an orgasm. You are the one who shows up and allows the person that is with you, mm-hmm. the, like the magic, the privilege of yeah. your pleasure. And that's what not fucking settling is about. It's about owning the fact that you are this magnanimous, magical, like energetic, sacred, divine, beautiful powerhouse of potential. And women really need to start seeing their sexual energy as this like, hmm, as this, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? As this ability to ignite, to elevate and amplify our potential, our manifestation, our creativity, and our connection with ourselves and with other people. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I think it's so, I'm, I'm big on masturbating as well. I think it's healthy. I think it can usually 
get the job done a lot quicker than when you're (laughs) necessarily with someone. Um, For me personally, I... I have always joked that I'm like Pandora's box. Yeah. Like to to get me to get there is a very like you need to know exactly mm-hmm. what to do. And it like takes instruction from me. And there's probably been about three or four men that I've ever been with that I've been comfortable enough with to, you know, really relax and and teach them and like connect with them on that level. Um and I have girlfriends, you know without naming names, but I, I just bought a, uh, a vibrator for one of her and she's like, I've never used one. And I was like, what? I know my face was like, how you've been missing out on such like, Oh my God. I have a, I, what? Yeah. I have a promo code. You can send her. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I genuinely, I, you know, 90% of the time need a vibrator to, to get there. Um, and I think that so often women feel that that means they're broken and like, why isn't it easy that I can't just like stick this penis in me and like get a great feeling from it. Um, not that, you know, just sex isn't great on its own for different reasons, but as far as like getting to that place, I, I think a lot of women feel, broken when it's not easy and it's never been easy for me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's also very limiting when we think that sex is just PV sex. So penis and the vagina sex, right? Because sex is so much more than that. And that's the kind of stuff that I talk about as well, right? It's, it's about understanding the fullness of sex and in providing that kind of that safety in that space to be like, listen, there's tools for this stuff. Like there's all kinds of tools for this, right? There's different types of lubes, different types of oils. Cannabis has been really great for sex, hugely great for sex. Actually, people now are preferring uh, cannabis sex over definitely over Wait, okay. Talk to me about what, what is cannabis? What does that mean? Cannasexual. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like we need, if you are looking to expand not really. I mean, for some people, especially in a trauma informed space, cannabis can actually be really, really helpful to help uh, people with vaginas, to help women uh, kind of get through some of uh, potentially some of the emotional pain, the physical pain that, mm. that we hold in our bodies. Um, but it can also help us elevate and feel like so much more, have different types of orgasms, have experienced different types of pleasure. The first time I ever squirted and it was like gushing Niagara Falls. I was so fucking high. It was amazing. And I loved it. Like I, and it was, and it was the best thing uh, that allowed me to really just like sink into my body because when we consume cannabis, it activates the endocannabinoid system in our bodies, which is the largest system of receptors in our bodies, mm. really responsible for so many different functions. One of the main places in our bodies that has the highest number of these receptors is in our pelvic areas. So our endocannabinoid system, the ECS, actually can control our fertility, can control, um, has an influence on our orgasms, has an influence on what we feel and what we experience in our pelvic areas. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. 
I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son. And for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So when we feed ourselves that medicine, the potential to be able to kind of expand or to elevate our sexual experiences just increases big time. Wait, that's so interesting. So are you saying like, and this can be any type of cannabis, like you can smoke, you can have a gummy or edible or whatever. Yeah. You just got to find the right for you. A lot of people actually will use. So another great tool is cannabis lube. I love talking about cannabis lube. I love teaching people how to make their own cannabis lube. So you can actually make this stuff at home. It's really, it's really, really easy. All you have to do as long as all you have to do is get, you know, um, the oils, from your dispensary, right? Make sure it's an mm-hmm. oil, uh, potentially a cannabis, um, a coconut-based oil or an olive oil-based um, can of oil. And then you can just dilute it with that same oil that you have in your kitchen, put it on your vagina, and away you go, right? <laughs> it's so- oh, that's interesting to me because I don't necessarily, like, obviously I've smoked in the past, but I'm not a big fan of mm-hmm. being high yeah. because I feel out of control and like I often like go down a rabbit hole of thoughts and like I eat everything in my kitchen yeah. it's just like not conducive to my lifestyle um but the the lube option is interesting how does that work in the same way is there something that's totally. is there a property in that that like makes the effects the same yeah absolutely so we look at THC to kind of help expand we look at THC to kind of bring more blood into our genitals and we look at CBD to kind of help relieve some pain, right? So especially Mm. women that have vaginismus, dyspareunia, for example, right? So pain upon penetration, cannabis lube used as a pre-lube. So when you use cannabis in your lubricant, you always want to pre-apply it. Mm -hmm. People tend to do make the mistake of is that they put it right in the middle of sex and then, you know, the effects after they're like, oh, my vagina feels funny. I'm like, yeah, girl, because it just kicked in. (laughs) So you have have to like pre-apply it a little bit, you know, 10, 20 minutes before you're kind of going to really get into it. It's a really good window for foreplay, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then get into whatever type of, you know, vigorous kind of sexual activity that you're going for um, that may or may not include some sort of penetration, right? Also super great for menstruation and menstrual cramps. They make these incredible suppositories now that you can just pop up your butt or pop up into your vagina and it can actually help really relieve any of the pain that you may be experiencing for menstruation, but menstrual. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, sex is also really great for menstruation. Like have an orgasm to relieve menstrual cramps like that. Really? 
Who have you had on this podcast? Yes. I'm, gonna- I'm like <laughs> mind I'm mind blown right now. I told you we haven't gone like deep into like the sex, the sex uh, realm, but this is like shocking. Yeah. Okay. So one of the best remedies for menstrual cramps is to actually orgasm. And I'm gonna tell you why. You feel cramps because your uterus is is cramping, right? It's it's um your uterus is doing this thing, right? It's it's uh, now like the word. Shedding. Yeah, thank you. You're shedding your uterine lining, right? So it has to cramp in order to shed because nothing is actually right. there's not like a little dude in there just like with a squeegee. <laughs> like the blood from your vagina like that's not happening right your body has to actually pulse to in order to shed it right and orgasm does the same thing but with an added powerhouse of hormones so oxytocin serotonin lowering your cortisol levels and relieving the pain so when you orgasm And if you kind of commit to having orgasms over your menstrual cycle, and especially prior to your menstrual cycle and during, you can actually shorten your cycle over time and help relieve some of the associated pain that you may be feeling. Wow. I'm fucking mind blown. That's like (laughs) genius. I mean, it makes a lot of sense too. Now that you say it, it's like, yeah, I can see why that would, you know, there's been times where I've had headaches and had an orgasm and it's like kind of relieved the headache. So totally it, it makes sense to me. Orgasms for life. Like this is like orgasms for menstruation, orgasms for headache, orgasms for your mood, uh, orgasms for, for life. Like (laughs) orgasms are the answer to everything. So since we're on the orgasm topic, talk to me about 1 million orgasms movement. Yes. So I am definitely a sex positive, intersectional feminist. I'm an activist. I've always been an activist in my heart. So because of that, I really wanted to kind of create a conversation around uh, sex positive or pleasure forward conversations and safe spaces for women. Um, And for people listening that aren't aware of what sex positive is, can you can you give some insight to that? Yeah, sure. So sex positive is kind of just this like concept that uh, you don't yuck someone's yum, you know, (laughs) like sex positivity is about just acknowledging that all the experiences of humans and how we express our pleasure are valid. And there is no right way to have sex. There's no wrong way to have sex. There's no, you know, a lot of the shame and guilt that comes with it, where sex positive is about um, looking at the rights of sex workers, for example, and making sure that sex work actually is legal. Uh, Talking Mm. to women about contraception and barrier methods, talking to men about contraception and barrier methods, talking to people about their sexual autonomy, about their sexual identities and genders and and the fluidity of all of that. That's essentially what sex positive in a nutshell is. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> so, so the 1 million orgasm movement is about that. I really just kind of wanted to bring awareness uh, through a global pandemic uh, <laughs> that, that we can do more to connect, not only not just with other people, but with ourselves. Because when I work with people, men, women, all genders, all bodies, when I work with these beautiful people, the number one thing that it always comes back to is how disconnected we are from ourselves, how we are from our 
from our kind of our autonomy, from our identities, from our wants, from our needs, and from our boundaries. There's so many people pleasers out there, and why? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's not just because everybody's fucking nice because it's not because everybody's fucking nice. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you're not that nice. You're really not that nice. And we, people get walked all over in relationship after relationship. We talk about gaslighting. We talk about love bombing. We talk about just general emotional manipulations. Right. And the 1 million orgasm movement is about saying, Hey, your orgasm is okay. Your pleasure is okay. And I want us to talk about it because sex isn't dirty. It's not shameful. It doesn't make you less worthy. It doesn't matter how many people you have fucked in your life. It doesn't matter how many people you haven't fucked in your life. It doesn't matter what you wear, what you don't wear. Everything about you is beautiful and okay. Let's talk about how we can exist safely and also understand one one another from various perspectives. So I just want people to like come into themselves literally. And (laughs) that's what the One Million (laughs) Orgasms movement is all about. I love that. I think that's amazing because it's always for some reason been such a taboo topic. And I don't know where in our history we adopted that to, to think that sex is bad and like, we shouldn't talk about it and we, we shouldn't touch ourselves. So I don't know where in history that was implemented, but it's definitely time to, to do something about that. Yeah. I'm blaming the industrial revolution, the Victorian era. I'm blaming all of those guys. (laughs) Fair, fair assessment. Too many layers Um, of clothing. Yeah. (laughs) And in the 1 million orgasms movement, you talk about pleasure first awareness. What is that? So pleasure first awareness, again, not fucking settling. Uh, It's about the idea that I deserve to have an orgasm, right? The story of the heteronormative story. So I'm going to preface it with that. The heteronormative story of, you know, I finally gave in to have sex with my partner and then he just like got off of me and like rolled over and that was the end of that. And then I was just kind Mm -hmm. of left with nothing happening, right? Right. And, And how that creates such a lack mindset. Well, I'm not going to have fucking sex. I'm not, you know, or as a woman, I don't deserve to invest in myself. I don't deserve to invest in my pleasure. So it's not just about sex. It is about, Hey, no, you get to speak up for your pleasure. You get to, you deserve to actually feel good about Mm. feeling good. Do you know how many women don't feel good about feeling good? That how much they can't actually invest in themselves, whether that's sex and relationships, whether that's getting your hair done, your nails done, getting a manicure, uh, you know, a facial, whether that's even just going out and going for the goal, going, building that business, becoming an entrepreneur, connecting in that network, going for that job, doing things that allow you to feel good. Pleasure is not just about sex. Pleasure is about looking at yourself as the temple that you are as the safe space that you are as the, the place literally where life begins and ends because without you feeling good, you're just kind of a miserable fuck. And what are we going to do with that? You know, (laughs) right. We deserve, we deserve to invest in ourselves. Yeah. And I, I so resonate with what you said about, you know, sometimes when you have sex and the guy gets off and 
you're just like, okay, cool. Um, for me, and I write about this in my first book, which I know a lot of people connected with, was that I always felt like I was performing for the other person. Yeah. So it was, it took a long time for me to get comfortable enough with whoever I was with to not feel that way. But it was like, okay, you were so self-conscious of like, are they enjoying this? What's going on for them? Do I look okay from this angle? Like, you know, feeling like you were putting on a show in the bedroom for them, which had nothing to do with my pleasure, you know, like nothing be. And I think I was personally self-conscious because the easiest way for me to get off is not necessarily like exciting to watch. Like it's, it's not, you know, yeah, it's not all the different positions and like moving and like flipping my hair around. So it, (laughs) it took a while for me to get comfortable enough with myself to, and my partner to be like, okay, this is, we're just going to take a moment and focus on me for a second. So what would you say to people who have that kind of performance mentality? Yeah. That like sexual performance anxiety that happens. Right. And then we can't orgasm and then we can't do this stuff. You know, I had to go through a lot of partners to kind of get through that. And (laughs) and really, and I mean, I think a lot of us do, you know, I think a lot of us do kind of learn lover by lover, partner by partner, kind of what we want more each and every time. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you are experiencing kind of some of that performance anxiety, then what I say is bring it back to you, bring it back to your masturbation, bring it back to your self-pleasuring, bring it back to understanding what your goal with this sexual intimacy is, what the goal with the sexual exchange is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually even having a conversation with yourself and with your partner and being like, dude, listen, so (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. And this isn't about you, but I've never had an orgasm with you. And it's not because you're not trying because I know you are. I feel the sweat on my face when (laughs) you're on top of me, right? Like I see it, you know, I know you're trying, but what I'm not doing is I'm not supporting you in that. I'm not saying to you this way, that way. Also, I need you to kind of show up and try and ask me questions, you know, right. and say, Hey, does this feel good? Does this not feel good? One of the biggest things that one of another big myth that we, we try to dismantle is that talking during sex isn't sexy, mm-hmm. you know? And it really is like, I love talking during sex. Like, yeah, me too. Right. Whether it's dirty talk or it's like, I want to fuck you like that. Like, can we do this? You know, like or yeah. try it like this. Um <laughs> Sorry, that just made me think of this really great story. I'm going to tell you too. Oh, please tell us. Yeah, I'm going to tell you this story. So as we're talking about like talking during sex, it just made me think of the alphabet. And I had this really great lover and we had had like a crush on each other for years kind of thing. And we worked together. And then finally, like I was leaving the job and so was he. And we were like, fuck, now we can actually like hook up. So... (sighs) So we were like, okay, let's like, let's actually do this. So we hooked up and he was one of the best pussy eaters I have ever experienced in my life. And (laughs) okay. And one of the reasons is because we communicated, but one of the other reasons was because he went through the entire alphabet 
while he was wait that's actually a oh thing my God, i used to the people used yeah. to talk about that with like learning how to kiss when we were in fucking middle school that's actually a thing well, no okay listen this is what he did though you don't just go through the alphabet and like hope for the best is he went through the alphabet and then he was hank he's like your favorite letter is n he's like once i got to n i just stuck to that letter and was and so he was like you were like and i was like yes yes this is amazing oh my god and it's my favorite letter i'm just <laughs> so talking about communicating during sex and using your words you know <laughs> well i think everything in every aspect of our lives comes back to communication in some way so why would sex be any different exactly Exactly. You have to be able to tell people what feels good and what doesn't, not just like expect people to be a mind reader. You know, your pussy is a snowflake. You need people to learn your fucking snowflake. Like it's different every single time. Not only are you different from the next person, but what you're experiencing through your monthly menstrual cycle, for example, mm. right? Your hormone levels, your moods on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, what stress does to us, what our interpersonal relationships does to us, right? All of that, our food, our diets, all of that ha- yeah, impact our ability to experience uh, sexual pleasure, right? And the, yeah. the pineapple myth is true, you know? Eat, what's the pineapple myth? Oh, eating pineapple? Eating eat pineapple makes you taste better. Oh my God. Actually scientific data, like from the Journal of Sexual Medicine. Like this isn't just like one of those like things. This is what makes me a clinical sexologist is that no, there's actual data like to be a fly on that wall. You know what I mean? On that <laughs> research team. Like I want to know like how they researched that. Like they went through a series of foods. So meat eaters, you know, I think I, think I hear that. Um, I hear that now with like keto crotch. Or whatever. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. So this is what I've heard. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not keto, but I hear people who are keto. They experience this thing in the beginning called keto crotch where they get like really gross down there. Okay. And it's because <laughs> they're eating so many animal byproducts, mm. right? Which actually makes you taste like shit, like makes your cum <sighs> and your ejaculate taste like taste really, really bad. And your, and your pussy can also not exactly be smelling the best either right so right. you need fruits and vegetables in your diet um, oh my god and the number one like fruit that actually did have a an, an actual impact on how you taste especially for people with penises um and then the most for women it's never as much with women it was always more with men but um is pineapple that's so interesting. I never knew it was for men. I only thought it was a myth about women. Yeah, no, no, definitely for men. That's where it starts. So, well, because I mean, the acids in pineapple starts to break down acid, right? Like that's why it's right. a meat tenderizer as well. So once it goes through your whole system, you know, it actually does have an impact on you. Just like, you know, yeah. you eat asparagus, your pee smells funny. If you have right, that right. Now it makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so from your clinical sexologist standpoint, for people who are in relationships and then they get comfortable or they're in a marriage and they get comfortable and the sex isn't either what it used to be or is it fulfilling? What do you tell those people to kind of spice things up and get back on track? How do you spice up your love life? Well, it really depends because no sex is different than bad sex. Correct. Okay. No sex is a symptom of things going on in your relationship, right? There's some Mm -hmm. big challenges going on in your relationship. Bad sex means that we just need some new tools. 
And we need to just kind of relearn how to, how to reconnect with one another. So that's kind of the first differentiation that we have to do. So when we're talking about spicing up the bedroom, people will come to me and they'll be like, I need to spice up my sex life. And I'm like, well, when is the last time you had sex? And they're like, I don't know, last year. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to talk to you about your sex life. I'm going to talk to you about your relationship. Right, right. right? Uh, but, you know, if you're with somebody and it's like, okay, bad sex, right? Or it's starting to become, you know, kind of meh, lame sex, right? Then it's about looking at motivation and what mm-hmm. motivates us to continue to connect. And what we usually start off with is, is baby steps with intimacy, right? So are you connecting intimately, not sexually? Are you connecting intimate? Are you spending quality time? Are you actually, you know, taking the time to touch one another? Physical touch is a really big connector, right? Are you looking at things like your love languages and investing in kind of those aspects of your relationship and bringing kind of some of that spark back to Mm -hmm. one another? Um, And are we with the right person? Right. That's a legitimate question, right? So many of us or so many people marry their best friend, which is not a bad thing. It's a really great space to raise some kids and do that thing, you know, have the dog and the picket fence and all that (laughs) jazz. However, sometimes the best friend kind of relationships will go through this kind of murky, rocky period of the relationship where you're no longer kind of attracted to your best friend and you kind of want some passion in your life again because you're sick of having like kids on the titties and hair everywhere (laughs) and like you know what I mean your life just kind of in a disarray everywhere and you just want somebody to really actively see you and invest in you passionately without all of the headaches and the noise and the bullshit Mm -hmm. and then those relationships can come back to because you know friendship really is the basis of any great relationship right and then they live the rest of your life with you know your your best friend which is a really beautiful thing right but we have to look at what that means spice up your sex life because it means something different to every person it's not just enough for me to be like well try role play or here's a bunch of sex toys sex toys aren't a competition for their penis i promise you know um (laughs) like trying different things bring food into the bedroom um don't wear underwear try sexy texting flirting you know we can do all that stuff pick up a cosmo magazine you can find 101 ways to give a great blowjob or to spice up your sex life you know yeah but those sometimes can sometimes are really really awesome and really useful and can be really great ways to ignite your sex life again especially in your relationship so like are you actually scheduling date nights i have this big rule mm-hmm with some of my clients is that if you guys don't have date nights, you have to have date nights and whoever cancels the date night is the person that has to be responsible for rescheduling it. Right. Right. So having uh, intimate accountability in your relationship, right? Yeah. Are you guys also focusing too much on your fucking kids? Like I know they're God's gift and the miracle of all everything. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Kids are great. (laughs) Um, And are you focusing too much on them? To be honest with you, you know what I mean? Like, are you focusing too much on your kids? Because often, often we really are. And kids really need to have space and to flourish and to see, you know, their parents being connected and to see their parents having a healthy and wonderful, loving relationship, whatever that looks like. 
So are you putting your energy into the wrong pots? That's also another question that I ask when we talk about, you know, how do I spice up my sex life? Well, where's the majority of your energy going? Because it's not going into connecting with your partner then. Yeah. I just recorded an interview with someone and they, they said something that was really interesting to me that I kind of looked at my own life and was like, yeah, I I can kind of see that I do that. His was coming from a much different place than mine was. Um, But it was more or less that because of what he had gone through when he was younger, his upbringing, um, when he had sex with people, it was only people that weren't too close when he would get into a relationship with people and get comfortable with people and love someone, he would want to pull back and have less sex because it almost felt like wrong or dirty to him. Yeah. So what, what do you have to say around people who experience that? Like once you're very comfortable and feel safe with someone that you don't have the urge uh, or the sex drive as much, you need to go to therapy. Yeah, that's what I say to somebody. You need to heal because what you're operating from is a trauma-informed space, is a trauma space, yeah. right? Is a trauma response. That's what that is about. Um, you know, the book, my book that I was talking to you about, um, my book Love. I talk about one of the big highlights is, is that I talk about a bunch of my lovers and I love all of my lovers and partners throughout my life. Like <laughs> they're all, some of them are fucking assholes, but I love them all. And I had a partner who was like that. I had a partner who like, we got really comfortable and like, we started off hot and heavy. We actually started off as fuck buddies and mm-hmm. then it moved into kind of a relationship space. And then when we were fucked, we had great sex. Like we broke my bed, like w- lamps, like things would go flying. Like it was so much fun. And then we got into this relationship. And after a couple of years, you know, I'd be like, oh, like, can you do this like hot, sexy thing to me? And he'd be like, I can't because I love you too much. And I'm like, hmm dude, I need you to choke me out or else I'm not going to come. Like, what is going on? Here? <laughs> like, what are you talking about right now? What do you mean? You can't, you know what I mean? He's like, I don't know. I see you as like the future mother of my children. And I was like, you're going to have to have sex with me for me to be yeah. the future mother of your children, bro. Like that's right. what's going to have to happen. And, you know, unfortunately at that time, I didn't know as much as I do, do now. So at the time I was like, I really need you to kind of get over this because you can sexualize me with my consent in these spaces. Right. And we can have this fun. We can have this fantasy. We can have this pleasure and put it in this really safe container and then go back outside of that and become and be everything else that we are, you know? Totally. And uh, often when I see that, I see that the most with men and it's, you know, it really is kind of this whole, like they make you into their mother kind of thing. It's like this Electra kind of, um, you know, the Electra and Oedipus uh, kind of fascinations and theories. Right. And, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm not your mother. And I think in those situations, actually, sometimes you have to kind of look at it and be like, actually, did I nurture you too much? Was I doing things for Mm. you, not with you? Right. right. And did, did I kind of contribute to allowing you to feeling that way, to allowing you to not be accountable for being that partner in this relationship that I need? Um, and you need to go to therapy <laughs> and yeah. talk about how 
your sexual identity is based on, um, or yeah, well, is based on the, I don't know why dissemination came into my mind, but it's not dissemination, but kind of the, the ravaging of women's bodies instead of Mm -hmm. this celebration of intimacy and love and our bodies coming together. Right. Right. So we have to like rewire and rework that mindset, that pleasure mindset and that pleasure map as to how you respond to pleasure in and outside of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, that came from my fear of abandonment. So I discovered that I was using sex as a tool to bring someone in and keep them here so that I wouldn't feel abandoned. Um, And when I had that realization, it was like, whoa, you know, like I've been using this like sacred part of me as this tool to not be abandoned when I should have, you know, been picking better people in the first place who weren't going to abandon me. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I say about rewiring your pleasure map, right? You have equated sex with something, with some sort of fear. Yeah. Whether it's judgment, abandonment, jealousy, isolation, whatever that is. And that's why we get to that mindset. Yeah. Huge, huge realizations to to look at what you've connected to sex and how to break those down and strip that away. Totally. Well, with different attachment styles, right? When we see anxious attachment mm-hmm. styles, or we're seeing avoidant attachment styles, right? I actually had this really great dinner one time and my one best friend is an anxious attachment. And then my other best friend is an avoidant attachment. And I'm sitting in the middle, just like, okay, we're going to talk <laughs> about both of you right now. <laughs> like, I need to get you over here to secure attachment for a second. And, yeah. and to also know that we can all flow through all of them too, you know, but it was just a really funny conversation and, and how we use sex and relationships in all of those different styles. And like you said, your fear of abandonment brought you to using sex as a tool to getting people to stay, right? That's an anxious kind of attachment style. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, it's interesting stuff. (laughs) So besides the fact that I have to go out and get this fucking book, um, tell everybody (laughs) where they can find you and follow you and all of your things that you have available. Yes. So you can connect with me on all the socials. Uh, So my website is carlincosta.com, C-A-R-L-E-N-C-O-S-T-A.com. And the same for my socials. So at carlin.costa on Instagram, Twitter at carlincosta. And uh, my book is available on Amazon, also available for purchase on my website. It's just a digital copy right now. It's been a digital copy for a bit. I was like, publishers, give me a call. Um, right? <laughs> I was like, Girl, you, you should self-publish on KDP. Yeah, I'm, That's what I did with both of my books. So it is already on Amazon as a self-published with KDP, but I got to figure out the, like, the, um, the printing piece oh well let, let's talk get, yeah. I can okay cool. yeah I can guide you with all of that cool thank um, you <laughs> I can't I can't wait to read it so thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this good stuff with us this was so informative and interesting and I'm off to go buy some cannabis lube so yay <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> I want to thank Carlin so much for coming on and giving us all kinds of tips and goodies and insights into owning our pleasure and being sex positive and really, you know, 
feeling entitled to have some fucking orgasms. God damn it. Um, that was such an awesome episode. I don't know about y'all. I'm about to go get some cannabis lube, but I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Now we are going to take a turn and jump into some of your FML stories. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. My name's Heather, and I'm going to share an FML story that may be a little different than what we are used to. This FML story is dedicated to my fucked up journey of infertility. My husband and I had been struggling with infertility for two and a half years. In May, I finally found a midwife that helped us, telling us it should be a simple fix of taking hormones since all of our tests came back normal. After three more disappointing months and a shit show of fucking emotions, we finally reached out to a fertility clinic. At the same time, my best friend, who knew she would have trouble with infertility because of her PCOS, began trying as well. It was comfort finally being able to share these emotions with someone, even though I hated she was going through this too. I finally had my appointment in September with the fertility clinic, having to be retested for everything. It was a very depressing time. More like just a fucking confusing and angry time. I kept thinking to myself, why am I having so much trouble? I'm taking someone else's spot who actually needs it because I have nothing wrong with me. I'm not supposed to be a mom. Maybe this is a sign. Using my thought onion, it truly boiled down to my abusive childhood and me not thinking I was worthy or deserved the help. I should not need to ask for help. I should be stronger than what I'm feeling. So finally, I became positive I changed my thinking, and I was excited after multiple blood tests and fun internal ultrasounds and dye catheters. Not. I had hope, finally, because we had a plan in place for our first IUI treatment. This was a Thursday. I found out my treatment plan, and my best friend had her first appointment with the fertility clinic that following Tuesday. Well, that Monday, she came over and surprised me with the beautiful news that she was pregnant. Absolutely amazing, but so, so devastatingly painful. It was a fucking shit show of emotions and guilt. She's like a sister to me, but why, why am I having so much fucking trouble? Then two days later, my father-in-law goes to the hospital where we find out that he has stage four thyroid cancer. All of this just a week before my IUI procedure, where I'm supposed to say absolutely stress-free because, you know, as people always tell me, like I fucking don't know, just stop stressing and it'll happen. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we found out two days before Christmas that the IUI did not take. Absolutely fucking devastating. Fast forward through January's IUI that I had to skip because my husband mysteriously tested positive for COVID literally the night before my IUI, even though we both were working from home for months, never went out and even skipped the holiday with the family to be safe. And February's IUI did not take either, so on to March. The beginning of this month fucking sucked. It started with a virtual appointment with my doctor that was supposed to be a check-in and ended up with me sobbing because he had told me we had plateaued with our IUIs and we needed to move on to IVF. Oh yeah, and I was in my planning room at school where I then had to get my shit together and get back to my classroom where my students were coming in for their first time since November. We then continued the IUI this March and I was not hopeful. So much so that I was not even anxious or excited to even take an at-home pregnancy test before my two-week blood work. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, I got a false positive last month in February, which is probably why I wanted to stay the hell away from pregnancy tests this month. 
Well, flash forward to March 25th, the day that changed my FML story, because I finally got that phone call we had so badly been waiting for. After three years, three IUIs, and in the third month of the year, we got the news that we're expecting our baby, or babies, on December 3rd. I couldn't have done this journey without you. Thank you for all your love and support. And if you're on a similar journey as me, stay positive. You got this. Oh my God, Heather, I could hear the emotion in your voice that entire time. I am so, so happy to hear that you guys are expecting a little bundle or bundles of joy. That is so amazing. I It made my heart so happy. And to hear you thank me at the end of that was absolutely touching to my soul. Um, I am glad that whatever I've been putting out, uh, you have been connecting with and it has helped you on your journey. That is really amazing to hear. I have friends of mine who have struggled with infertility. I know so many women do. And I really, really thank you for your vulnerability and opening up and sharing your story because I know there's so many people out there that will resonate with it and be inspired and hopeful from it. So thank you. Hey, Gabrielle big fan. Um, Here's my FML story. Girl meets boy in college. Girl is stupid. Guy is narcissistic, convinces her to not talk to her family for two and a half years, emotionally abuses her for six years, brings her down to South Carolina where I now live. But anyway, um, and then leaves to go get his act together, quote unquote. And then his coworker sends me a picture of him flirting with a 19 year old. So now I'm single, thank God. And that's my FML story. There's more to it, but I can't even imagine it. So there you go. Oh, Amanda, I am so sorry. I can't. <sighs> can't even imagine being trapped in a relationship with someone who convinces you in some way to not talk to your family for that long period of time. Um, fuck that. I'm glad you are now single and thriving and away from that shit. And again, what is it with the magic number of 19? I will never fucking understand. Next week, you guys, I am bringing on an incredible guest to talk to us all about fear and the paralyzing ways that it can keep us from achieving our fucking dreams. Monica Berg is an author and international speaker, and I am so excited to dive into not only fear, but relationships and all of the things that she has to offer. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you want some extra bonus content, you can join us on the subscription site on patreon.com slash FML Talk, where you can also join the book club, be in the private Facebook self-love group, and get 10% off all your merch. And as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. I'll see you guys next week. Cheers.
Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.